You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Welcome to the Code Red podcast of Secure America Now. My name is Alan Roth. We are privileged today to have with us one of the Middle East's most astute observers, Ellie Fawa. Ellie is an analyst with the Counter-Extremism Project. He is a writer, political commentator, and a strategic advisor. He lives in Beirut, Lebanon, with his wife and two children. Welcome to the podcast, Ellie. Thank you very much, and I'm really honored uh, to, uh, to, be, to be on, uh, on your uh, successful uh, podcast uh, program. Okay. Great. Well, we are privileged to have you. And I would like to begin with a very personal question. When this massive explosion occurred in Beirut on August 6th, where were you and was your family directly affected by the carnage? Uh, I was in Jamaica a few miles away from the uh, from the explosion and uh, actually uh, I'm, I'm lucky I have uh, no injuries uh, but uh, the moment uh, of the explosion I was there I was I was few miles away from the explosion and the uh, uh, um, devastation uh, the uh, I saw uh, on the aftermath of the explosion was was of an, a huge scale, really huge scale. I saw uh, injured people on the street because we left, uh, we were at the cafe. I was at the cafe with a friend of mine and then we, we left to the site of the explosion. And I was maybe among the first who uh, uh, reached the site of the explosion. But on my way, uh, what I saw was 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 really, was really of, of a, of, of a huge scale of destruction uh, uh, and it was uh, it was frightening and we couldn't understand actually what happened because at first they told us they targeted Saad al-Hariri so I mean uh, we, we started moving towards his, 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 uh, his mansion in Beirut but then they told us no it's it's in the uh, the explosion is in uh, Beirut ports so we went down there and it was it was horrible 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 uh, we were met by the uh, by uh, by uh, some uh, members of the Lebanese army, who was uh, also devastated, and they were screaming, "Please don't shoot! Please don't shoot! This is a, uh, a, a, a security area. You are not allowed uh, to enter. You are not allowed to shoot. But no matter what, because there was a lot of people, we went in and 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 and, and we saw the disaster that happened." At, at, uh, uh, after the explosion, uh, my kids were at home, uh, far away from the explosion, but they heard it no matter what. My wife was shooting in an also nearby area, and also she escaped uh, the uh, injury. Uh, but uh, we're safe. But I think the uh, Beirut is not, uh, and people died. Actually, uh, they they don't know why they died. They were. They were passers by because Jumeizi is an old street of Beirut uh, where a lot of people come in. There is a lot of pubs and cafes and university students, foreigners uh, are usually there. 
uh, to meet up, to discuss things. Uh, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, it happens that many of them died while they were sitting there having a nice discussion uh, over a cup of coffee and didn't understand what happened, uh, unfortunately, for them. So, yes, we're safe, but Lebanon, uh, Lebanon is not. So let's, let's talk about Lebanon. And before we leave the explosion as such, there was a, all sorts of speculation as to what caused it. Is there agreement now what caused it? Was it the nitrates that were sitting there? Is there, there was speculation it may have been military or terrorism? Can you just update us on that? Uh, actually, uh, I don't think we, uh, we will uh, get any information uh, from the state and from the government because they stand accused of, uh, uh, of uh, 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 crimes against humanity. This is a crime against humanity. And the only responsible in this case is Lebanese government. A week after, the president said he doesn't know about it. A week after, can you imagine? So what we count on is uh, uh, the uh, experts, basically, we were not, we're not going to get uh, any reliable uh, information from the government, uh, any uh, serious investigation, because, again, they stand accused of crime against humanity. But what experts, serious experts, has analyzed through the uh, many uh, uh, videos that were shot of the explosion, they tell you that there was more than uh, uh, chemicals and this and this uh, and this storage, uh, and I tend to believe I tend to believe that there was definitely more than just chemical uh, products in this uh, in this facility that is used by Hezbollah. Hezbollah uh, Hezbollah supporters basically uh, uh, have uh, in through social media through social media. Uh, talked about how they control precisely this area and the port, and they called it the uh, Zainab Gate. This is what they call it. They go in and they go out uh, freely. Uh, um, so they use this port uh, or part of the port of the Beirut port the way they uh, they they want, the way they. They believe it's 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 uh, it's uh, good for them. Uh, it, you know, it's chemicals, it's arms. Uh, sometimes it's goods. It's only goods for their own business people uh, that uh, that uh, benefit from this protection uh, to sell the goods at lower prices and maybe share or most probably share the benefits with Hezbollah. So I think what was in there was more than just chemical products. Do you, um, we know that Lebanon is experiencing tremendous economic, social, political problems. And this was even before the explosion, there were big problems, and now they're even bigger. Um, President of France, Macron, recently 
came to Lebanon. And was there, could you see anything tangible that came out of Macron's visit, which was instigated by the explosion? That's why, in the aftermath, that's why he came. Anything outside of um, some photo ops? Uh, well, I think uh, um, Macron, uh, Macron's visit uh, to, Lebanon, to Lebanon definitely was instigated by the explosion, but he held uh, uh, basically two speeches to the people. He told them that whatever aids uh, France is going to send, it's going directly to the people because France doesn't trust the government and the institutions uh, within the government. Then uh, at night he went and he met with all the political leaders of Lebanon, of which he accuses of corruption, or of which he accused earlier of corruption. And he went and he urged them uh, to be united and to, uh, to uh, go ahead with the reforms they have uh, uh, they have pledged to uh, to uh, accomplish uh, and that they didn't do yet. So uh, uh, and then he he said, then the money will come to Lebanon, will flow. Then the money of Cedars, then he can talk to the international monetary funds, and then he can call his friend Donald Trump to ask him to ease the tension on on uh, and the sanctions on on Lebanon. So, uh, what Macron can we can, can we count on, or what what version of Macron can we count on? How can he give? He knows that these people are corrupt, and he knows that most of the money they're gonna get is uh, is going most probably in their pockets. And we've seen this before. We've seen, and and, and the EU is angry about the many uh, uh, aids that they have sent to Lebanon and that unfortunately uh, uh, did not achieve what they were supposed to do in Lebanon. So they went in the pockets of those of those political uh, political leaders. So we don't know what Macron can we can we believe. The one who told the people that this is a corrupt cl political class or the president who went and met with this political uh, class and hand them uh, a lifeline. Lebanon, as an American, and I think most Americans who pay attention to Lebanon, Lebanon was always seen as, especially Beirut, as a cosmopolitan place that had tremendous Western influence in it, but yet it was very much a Middle Eastern country, and there was the famous division, political division, which I think on paper still exists, between the Muslims and the Christians and the Druze in Lebanon. Um, given the recent situation where, in fact, Hezbollah has rise to much greater power, it appears, and influence throughout the country, what is the situation of the Christians in um, in Lebanon, and before you answer, I saw a recent column that you wrote um, having to do with, it, it was critical of the stance that's being taken by the head of the Marianat Church, 
and um, it sounded like you wanted them to be more aggressive. Um, but can you uh, address that situation? Yes. Uh, it, it, to assess the situation of the Christian community in Lebanon, it, it, uh, unfortunately, what we're going to witness uh, when the, the uh, um, situation uh, allows people to travel again, we're going to witness a mass immigration of, of Christians uh, from Lebanon to many different places. As you know, Lebanese are around, uh, around the globe and everyone has uh, relatives. Uh, uh, and, and I think what they've seen, especially after the explosion, Definitely the economic collapse of Lebanon, I think for them uh, is, is, is more than they can, they can uh, uh, take. So I know two friends, two friends of mine, one of them, uh, one of them took his family to uh, Canada and another one uh, left for Madrid, uh, for Spain. And I know a lot of people will most probably uh, take this this decision to leave because first the economic situation is very bad, as as you you have mentioned, and then you have uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of problems now in, in, in Lebanon. We we have we are seen uh, and rightly so as being a, a pro-Iranian satellite. Uh, and, and uh, unfortunately, uh, all the political leaders uh, uh, somehow are contributing to this to this image of Lebanon. Um, to go back to the Christian community, the problem with the Christian community is that they have elected the majority of them have elected their representative, who is the president today of Lebanon, Michel Aoun, and his son-in-law, Jibran Basin. And the problem with these, with, with those two people, is that they have uh, allied themselves with a terrorist organization. Hezbollah is a terrorist organization, and these two have taken the fate of the Christian community in Lebanon and and, and put it in the hands of uh, 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 Hezbollah. Uh, and and this is. This is, uh, it comes with the consequences, I guess. When you, when you put yourself, when you put yourself uh, in, in an alliance with a terrorist organization, somehow you will pay the price. Somehow you will pay the price. And the patriarch, the Maronite patriarch, was a bit late when he called for the Lebanese neutrality. Well, this is, this is not what we need today. What we need is to speak the truth. And the truth is that we cannot survive with Hezbollah in Lebanon, no matter what they say. Even if they say that he's a component of the Lebanese society, this, is, this doesn't make it right. This doesn't make it right to hold uh, Lebanon hostage, even if you're a, a hostage to choices that are criminal, and, 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 and this is not right. And what the Christians should do, the Christian community should do in order to save to save what's left of the Christians in Lebanon, and to save this idea of Lebanon as being a cosmopolitan, uh, 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 Beirut being a cosmopolitan city, what they have to do is to say, to, to say clearly that we are against Hezbollah, whether in its political component or in its military component. 
we refuse to uh, involve Lebanon in, a, in, in, in useless wars. Uh, we refuse to have Hezbollah going to Syria and fighting there and killing Sunnis uh, under whatever reason uh, he's mentioning, or going to Iraq, or even going to Iran and killing Iranians in Iran during the last uprising uh, in, uh, last year before the COVID uh, epidemic. Can we talk about what occurred yesterday, this historic agreement between the United Arab Emirates and the State of Israel, which was brokered by the Americans and Donald Trump and the administration, and the impact, I mean, one of the main impetuses, I believe, for, for this was and is Iran which is the biggest problem that Lebanon faces. Um, and that this was, you know, a coming together of countries that have a common, very dangerous enemy. You tweeted about this, that this is a big story when the news came out. Can you explain why you think that this deal is a big story? and what the impact will have on the Middle East in general? Uh, first of all, definitely, um, you're going to have a lot of experts who will talk about the uh, impact uh, on the geopolitical uh, in the Middle East. Definitely, there is a geopolitical, huge geopolitical impact uh, on the Middle East that will, uh, that will uh, uh, come with this uh, historical agreement. This is the first uh, Gulf country that signs a, a, a peace, basically a, a peace treaty with Israel, one. So you're gonna have a lot of experts who are gonna talk about this. But then again, you're gonna have a lot of experts who are going to talk about the uh, economic impacts because uh, the, uh, the uh, Emiratis uh, are investing in basically a lot in technology uh they they sent uh, lately a, uh, a, a basic uh, and i think uh, israel is one of the leading countries in technology so the amount of opportunity the opportunities that will come with this agreement are also uh, very important for the emiratis and uh, the Gulf region in general, because I believe that Bahrain will follow soon, and I believe that Oman also will follow soon the, uh, on the steps of, of, uh, the, uh, uh, of the uh, UAE. So uh, economically, this will have also a huge impact on the, on, on the region, and it will create a lot of opportunities, job opportunities uh, for, for, the, uh, for the youngsters, and uh, in, in, in the Gulf, in the Gulf countries, uh, and it goes, as I said, with the vision of the uh, Mohammed bin Zayed regarding regarding investing heavily in technology. But I think also there is a very interesting uh, impact that we will witness. F first of all, uh, it's it, maybe it's going to take time, but you can see it coming. First of all, the acceptance of Israel as a state in the Middle East, as a Jewish state in the Middle East. Uh, this will come with time, but when 
countries like uh, UAE and Bahrain and Oman and most probably Saudi Arabia is sitting on the sidelines so it's going to join the game soon this means that you are preparing the next generations in the in the Gulf region to accept Israel as a state uh, in the region and in, in the Middle East and this is very important maybe this will take a little bit of time but this you can see it coming this is important why because it, it will affect it will affect the conflicts uh, the conflict the Palestinian Israeli conflict how so what is important when you accept the Israelis and when you accept the, the state as a Jewish state and you welcome Israel as a Jewish state in the region this this means in a way uh, uh, that you remove you remove the religious character of the conflict. It, it, all of a sudden, it's not Jews against Islam. The thing that Iran uses greatly in order to uh, uh, incite hatred and in order to uh, align all the Muslim nations around this idea. They always tell you that this is a religious idea. We want to go and we want to pray uh, in Jerusalem. This is always about religion. So what's happening now all of a sudden is that slowly, slowly, people will detach themselves from this religious character and then this conflict will become what it should become. Political, territorial, name it what you want. But it's not religious. It's not about absolute truths. It's not about gods. It's about human fighting over a territory, over an identity, over economic issues. And then if this is the case, then we might be able to find a just solution for this conflict. If we remove God from this equation, then things will become uh, uh, easier to solve. Very important uh, aspect of this. Uh, thank you for that analysis. Uh, the last part, as you said, the first part, a lot of people will be talking about, but this particular point is extremely important. And uh, before he was prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu wrote a book called The Place Among the Nations. And he wasn't talking about forcing the nations to become Jewish. <laughs> he was talking about acting as and being accepted as a normal political state with an identity, like all the others have an identity. In terms of, have you seen any responses from Hezbollah or from Iran about this particular deal that uh, that that was announced yesterday, uh, I uh, read in Al Sharl Al that Hamas and Fatah and uh, Iran basically refused this agreement, and it's silly because, as I know, the UAA is an independent uh, country, and uh, it takes decision according to its interest. And you cannot refuse whatever they have uh, chosen to, to do. I mean, maybe you can criticize, but refusing the agreement is uh, takes us back 
1979 uh, with the visit of uh, uh, Anwar Sadat to Jerusalem and then the, uh, the the problems that it have it has created around the world but we should we should treat this as being uh, 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 very uh, sp uh, special to the United Arab Emirates and this is it this is the decision of the leaders there the uh, Iran has nothing to do about it. It, it if it doesn't want to make peace with Israel then this is the choice of Iran Fatah and Hamas this is their choice, whatever they want to do. But they have to respect the independence and they have to respect the decision of the United Arab Emirates. As for the uh, social media, you know, some were excited. Uh, I, I think people from uh, the Gulf countries uh, were excited and, and, and were happy. And then you have some who were um, uh, still stuck uh, in, uh, in, in 1948, although they are young uh, and they represent the young generation, but they are st still stuck there. Uh, and, and saying that, that this is cannot be, uh, this is cannot happen, and whatever. But I, I want to share with you one, uh, one, uh, one thing. I one time I was sitting with, uh, I was invited as a journalist to sit with Abu Mazin, and we were talking about uh, the peace process. This was maybe seven, eight years ago, and I remember he said something very interesting at the time. So I don't know what made him change his mind. But he told us, because people were asking him, why don't you adopt Hezbollah's uh, method? And he told them that Lebanon is Lebanon and Palestine is Palestine and the decision is ours. We see what's best for us and then accordingly we act. But he said something very interesting. He said that one of the biggest mistakes is refusing the 1948 uh, uh, UN uh, uh, resolution. That's what he said, and, and, and I, I thought, okay, here you go. This is someone who at least uh, learned the lesson, but unfortunately, I don't know now what's happening with him, uh, but uh, I think he will come back to his senses, and he has to act for the Palestinians, uh, and regardless of what the others say, regardless of what the Arab states believe, he has to act in the best interest of the Palestinians, and the best interest of the Palestinians is peace with Israel. You, um, you're aware that America is engaged in a presidential election. One of the major policy differences between Donald Trump and Joe Biden is over the Iran nuclear deal. The Biden has made it very clear that he would want to repair the uh, the deal that trump has disrupted from your perspective and from the perspective of the middle east do you think going back is a good idea a bad idea do you think that pressuring iran as the trump administration is doing is in fact the way forward the future I think what uh, what President uh, uh, Trump uh, did, uh, I believe, was the right thing to do. Reorganizing American policies in the Middle East. Uh, who are the friends? Who are the enemies? This was clear for him. Uh, and uh, I think uh, the... Uh, uh, um, 
assassination of Qasem Soleimani was uh, one of his best, one of his best, best foreign policy, foreign policy moves. Because what he declared then is that he has the power, but then he will use it whenever it's necessary. Because when you uh, want to negotiate with another party, uh, you need to have all the elements at your side, all the uh, positive elements at your side. And then when, uh, uh, because uh, President Obama uh, never used or never, he only threatened to use uh, power, but he never used it. But uh, I think that uh, the administration, Trump's administration, has been very clear regarding the Middle East, uh, very clear regarding uh, re renewing the ties between allies, Saudi Arabia, uh, Gulf countries, uh, Israel, uh, and then stating who's who's the enemy, uh, Iran. Uh, the list, the list is, is, is goes on and goes on with the uh, terrorist operation that Iran uh, has sponsored or has been involved in directly. We go back to the uh, Amia bombings in uh, in Argentina, all the way to Burgast, all the way to what happened in Beirut a few days, a week ago, six, seven days, eight days ago. Uh, this is also. Uh, a terrorist, uh, a terrorist uh, action that happened and that killed innocent people. So we're dealing with a terrorist uh, country that is uh, uh, sponsoring terrorist organization and and that is uh, doing uh, criminal and illegal activities. So yes, the, uh, Trump's administration has done the right thing, and uh, pressuring Iran is, is 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 the right thing to do because this regime cannot go on. This regime cannot go on sponsoring terrorism in the region. And I live in Beirut, and I can tell you, we witness terrorism every day. People, it's, people are being uh, silenced. People are being imprisoned uh, for uh, imprisoned for saying what they what they what they want to say. So this is the good uh, uh, strategy. It's a good strategy, and it sh should continue. But but then again, you have three major actors in the region, definitely the United States, but you have Israel that has a say in uh, the future uh, of Iran in the region and the regime, and they have acted, and they have acted in that regard. Uh, the Natanz bombing, the destruction of Natanz, and the so many accidents that happened that we don't know how, how they, 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 they happened. And then if you go back two years ago, they they went into Tehran and they stole uh, 300 or 400,000 documents that I think helped them a lot uh, in assessing uh, the, uh, the, uh, the nuclear program that Iran is holding. So you have Israel. But then again, you have the Gulf states also involved in this, uh, in this uh, matter uh, and uh, led by Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia was, was very clear and uh, and 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 condemning Iran, condemning the 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 the, the regime there, and then uh, you have Iran as well. So yes, America uh, uh, can decide if 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 uh, Trump is not elected, uh, but it's going to be very very difficult to go back 
uh, to the GCPOA and to go back to the uh, to the times where uh, Iran has been given money and and, and has been uh, welcomed to the uh, world community and the UN and elsewhere. It's going to be very hard because the economic situation is different and because the players today cannot take the, 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 the players in the region. I mean, they cannot take four more years of Obama. They can't. So uh, this might escalate. If Trump is not elected, my point is that this might escalate into a war. If Trump is elected, then I think the Iranians will not have much choice but to go and negotiate unless they want to commit suicide. Let them go. <laughs> Let them take that path. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you very much for uh, educating us. But before we leave, I would like to ask you, there is something that in fact unites the world, and it's called the coronavirus. And we here in the United States had a complete lockdown. We still do, to a certain degree, have lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. How did the coronavirus impact on Lebanon? Uh, you know, we have a very, very, very bad uh, economic situation. Uh, inflation, uh, uh, the, the local currency has lost, I think, something like 65 to 70 percent of its uh, of its power. Uh, unemployment was was really really high, uh, and then we had the corona on top of all of this. And then you had you have an incompetent uh, government uh, in Lebanon. Uh, plus, you have uh, the boycott of the Gulf states. Uh, and then you have the American sanctions that are watching uh, uh, what's uh, the financial and the economic situation in Lebanon uh, clearly, because uh, all of a sudden they have discovered the Ponzi scheme that Lebanon has been doing for uh, ages now. Okay, so then we had the coronavirus. It, I think uh, the situation was bad enough, but then it, it, it added uh, more to the uh, to the difficult situation you had uh, more uh, business uh, going uh, you have more companies going out of business laying out people and 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 then uh, the, the big problem was the exchange rate because for 30 years the Lebanese pound was pegged on the dollar for one uh, 1500 liras uh, but, but then now we have a black market all of a sudden and if you want to uh, you, you want to uh, uh, sell one dollar you sell it for nine thousand ten thousand seven thousand yes but uh, nonetheless if you go to the bank it's still one thousand five hundred go figure out so uh, it impacted Lebanon in, in, in a very uh, very serious uh, matter but it, it, it added to the very very difficult situation that we that we are living in. and and now uh, unfortunately the uh, uh, we we're having a rise in the uh, in the in the numbers of people that are uh, being uh, tested positive with the coronavirus although Hezbollah's minister of health went to Balbek and he was received as a hero and he danced uh, and he danced uh, the the uh, the local dabke dance uh, to celebrate his uh, victory over uh, coronavirus. Two weeks later, 
two weeks, two weeks later, we had a surge in the number of people tested positive. We have 300, something like 300 uh, cases uh, a day. So, right. yes. It's a real challenge. Well, Ellie, uh, you last year actually invited me to come to Beirut. You've done a good job in um, convincing me this is not the time to come. <laughs> not that I can leave the United States because of the coronavirus. But in fact, I look forward to seeing you sometime in the near future, hopefully. And that when you come to the United States, there's an open door for you to come to our house. And I would love to um, entertain you and host you. And uh, this has been a fantastic, um, it it's been an education um, in terms of the situation in the Middle East, in Lebanon. And uh, I wish you all the best, you and your family. All Thank the you. continued good health. And um, uh, maybe sometime in the near future, you'll consent to, uh, to come back on and chat with us. It's, it's, a, it's a great honor. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. And it's always interesting to speak to you. And you know how to bring uh, ideas out of people and thoughts out of people. You're great at that. And I'm, I'm really, really happy to, uh, to know you to have known you and to uh, met to have met with you in, in New York and I I look forward to meet again with you and have those long discussions that we that we had uh, that we had a year ago so thank you of, for having me first of all and I'm glad that you're in a, in a great shape and good health and uh, we send you lots of love from from Lebanon to you and all your family and all your friends thank you very much take care you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.